Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. You know, today is a day for adventure, and Cub has all the Nabisco snacks you need to make sure that adventure is delicious from start to finish. Life is just sweeter when you share Oreo cookies on the trail. Also, when you crunch Ritz crackers at the campsite or rock the boat with rich cheese crispers. Stop a Cub on the way to your adventure. The great outdoors is calling. Be sure you bring the snacks. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here, welcoming you to another Minnesota Bound podcast. Our topic today is the joys of hunting wild turkeys. And my special guest, who is very special, I, mean, I got to say this guy is on top of the world, is... <laughs> myself. I have been a wild turkey hunting nut for 54 years. I will share with you down the road here my memories of my first wild turkey. But 54 years, I don't I have not missed one chance to hunt wild turkeys in Minnesota or uh, South Dakota Black Hills where I first was introduced to turkeys. I've been turkey hunting in Florida and Mississippi and and uh, many other states. Not as many as I'd like to, but um, I'll just put it this way: the wild turkey is a is a fantastic creature uh, and such a joy to hunt in the springtime. Now I'm talking spring uh, turkey hunting for gobblers only. Such a joy to hunt because you can converse with them. They talk back to you, um, and if you fool one uh, into coming into you, you you know it's it's a joy that never gets old. Um, well, that said, and some of you already already know the joys of turkey hunting, and so, but I'll, I I want to share with you today a little bit of history for turkey hunting and turkeys in Minnesota, and uh, we'll also get into some questions on uh, how to call, how to set up, what to do with your, what kind of shotgun, uh, things like that. But let's first talk about the bird itself. Um, the wild turkey, as I like to say, is predictably unpredictable. Um, I've seen them run into my decoys. I've seen them totally ignore my decoys. I've seen them answer me like crazy and then walk away. Or I've seen them not hardly answer me and come in like they're on a string. Uh, unpredictable. But the more I've hunted them, the more I've learned also about their social life and that hens tend to rule the roost often. And so we're going to get into some of that. But you should know uh, Turkey is, is, has many tools to survive. They're pretty good eating, and coyotes and owls and everybody else know that's true as well. But the turkey has eyes on each side of its head that with just a flick of its head, it can, it can basically see 360 degrees without much trouble. So that allows it to uh, avoid danger. It also travels in flocks, which means there's many eyes looking out for danger. That always helps. Um, they roost in trees, which uh, makes night predators unable to 
uh, find them for the most part. Um, but there is one night predator that will take them. A lot of people are surprised when I say it's the great horned owl. Uh, I witnessed that myself uh, as one time when I was writing for the Star Tribune, I was doing a story about wild turkeys down in the southeast part of Minnesota, and they had some turkeys with radios on them so they could follow them 24-7. And when I got there that morning, the DNR guy said, hey, we have one gobbler. He's, uh, he hasn't moved all night, except at to two or three in the morning, his radio jiggled a little bit, but he's still, he's still right there. He said, we're going to go out. So I tagged along with them. We went, and they could hone right in on the radio signal. And there at the base of the tree was the carcass of this gobbler with the radio still on him. Uh, he had been uh, attacked by an owl. That's why the radio jiggled at 2 or 3 in the morning. Uh, the owl saw him sitting there, flew in, knocked him to the ground, pounced on him, and began to rip his chest open, and that was the end of that gobbler. Now, an owl barely weighs a few pounds. That gobbler was a 23-pound gobbler, no little bird, and a lot of people are surprised that uh, uh, owls could take him, but uh, in the middle of the night, that's very possible. But anyway, they roost in trees, so they avoid a lot of uh, nocturnal uh, predation. Um, uh, their biggest enemies perhaps are uh, skunks and raccoons and animals that prey on bird nests, on eggs. That might be their biggest um, threat. Uh, but usually uh, turkeys and their predators have lived together for a long, long time. And so they're very seldom would be a limiting factor uh, winter can be a factor, although in Minnesota, uh, these birds are able to sustain our severe winters. They're, they're even moving further north, uh, I mean, way up in the Roseau, etc. I, I don't know how they survive some of this. Some of them don't, um, but they come back again. Uh, a hen turkey will lay, you know, a dozen to 15, 16 eggs and often brings at least 10 of them or more off. And so the turkeys are able to replenish their ranks uh, quite easily. Um, and uh, they're very adaptable to various situations. They, it used to, used to, the theory used to be that you needed vast forests for turkeys. Uh, but now uh, they've learned that you don't. You need just some woods for them to roost in. Otherwise, they're very content to roam prairies, uh, follow river bottoms, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, and of course, our corn, soybeans, uh, food here gives them plenty of uh, food through fall and winter often. They follow deer trails in the wintertime to reach food. Turkeys are not above scratching in cow pies <laughs> and getting uh, undigested corn there. Uh, so and I think they also, in the wintertime, act like rough grouse. Uh, I have not witnessed this myself, but if you have, I'd love to know. Uh, rough grouse, as you know, in the wintertime, feed on aspen buds uh, because they can't scratch through the snow either. But turkeys are related to grouse, and uh, 
uh, I've been told that they have seen wild turkeys up in aspen trees feeding on the aspen buds as well. Um, uh, so that's another way they might survive. Cold, cold doesn't bother turkeys at all. Minnesota did a lot of research on that. 40 below uh, doesn't bother them. Uh, they're well equipped for winter. So that's the bird. I mean, and they're, I forgot to mention their hearing. Their hearing is phenomenal. We tend to underestimate it all the time that we think we have to call loud in the woods for a turkey to hear us. That's uh, so untrue. So when I call, here's my one of my first tips. When I call, if I, I'm just getting in the woods. I don't, don't know where a turkey is or whatever. When I start calling, I start very silently, very low volume because um, a turkey, you know, they made their living getting together by judging the sound. And if you sound really loud and the turkey will either say, wow, you should be right here and I can't see you, or uh, it, it might even spook them. So I, I, when I start calling, I call very low volume, knowing full well that a, a turkey close by could hear me. If I don't hear any, then I slowly increase my volume. All right, so let me explain a little bit why I became such a turkey nut. Um, when I graduated from Iowa State University in 1966, my first job, I was lucky, was to be editor of a magazine for South Dakota Game and Fish Department. And part of my job was to roam the state looking for stories. And one story I was looking for is... Um, um, wild turkeys. So back then we had a wild turkey biologist. He also served as the deer biologist. So he says to me one day, let's go out. I'll show you what spring turkeys are all about. So I got a license and we went out. And anyway, he sent me up one side of the hill and he went up the other. And I heard him calling these turkeys and they were gobbling to him. I didn't know it then, uh, but it's often happened since they gobble to you and, and they went the opposite way. Well, the opposite way was where I was at. And here suddenly I'm sitting by a tree and here comes a line of turkeys, first wild turkeys I ever saw. And they were marching single file. I go, where's the gobbler? Where's the gobbler? Where's the gobbler? And there was a hen, 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 hen. Finally, the last bird was bigger, blacker. And I saw a little beard and I pulled the trigger and I got my first turkey. I wasn't sure if I was legal or not, but I got a turkey, I was pretty sure. And anyway, the, my friend came over and said, congrats, you got your first turkey. It was a Jake, but it doesn't matter. I was very excited. Well, I've been addicted ever since. So when I moved to Minnesota to be the outdoor editor of the Minneapolis Tribune, I would write about turkeys because uh, I'd go back to the Black Hills every spring. And back then, Minnesota didn't have any turkeys, hardly in the southeast part of the state or anywhere else. Turkeys were annihilated back in the late 1800s for the most part. Our Minnesota DNR was trying to get some started, but wasn't working. Uh, that's a long story. But um, So when I got here, um, 
I kept going back to the Black Hills. I started inviting some Minnesota friends to come out to Black Hills with me. And I actually ended up, we started a Minnesota or started a turkey hunting camp called Turkey Track Club. You can look it up, turkeytrackclub.com. And I started introducing a lot of Minnesotans to the joys of turkey hunting, even though it was in the Black Hills. Minnesota did not have a season. So one day I'm in the wildlife chief's office. Roger Holmes is his name. I said to him, I said, Roger, we need to do more to get turkey started in Minnesota. And he said to me, I don't have any money in my budget for turkeys. If you want more turkeys in Minnesota, you better raise the money yourself. And I said, okay, we will. So I helped form the first chapter of the Minnesota National Wild Turkey Federation. We held our first banquet in Minnesota, raised eleven dollars or $12,000, which was more than most banquets, turkey banquets anywhere in the country had raised. And we started paying a DNR employee to trap and transplant the few wild turkeys we had in the southeast Minnesota and move them around to new habitat and let them reproduce. And we kept doing that. And this gentleman we hired, uh, uh, his name was Gary. He he trapped and transplanted thousands of birds as the years went by and moved them all around to a suitable habitat in Minnesota. So I take great pride in the uh, role I played. I was the first president of the chapter uh, to get turkeys going uh, throughout Minnesota. And now they are just about everywhere. As some Edina housewives complain as the turkeys are chasing their kids. <laughs> but that, that, you know, I don't know. Turkeys are adaptable. Anyway, so that's, that's sort of the background uh, for Minnesota. Now, of course, we have uh, a great turkey seasons every year. The, almost anybody who wants to hunt them in Minnesota can do so. Um, there's, uh, licenses can be bought uh, off the over the counter and whatever. So um, now we're going to get into some of the um, what should I say? Some of the tricks I've learned, some of the things I I want to share with you about how to hunt that bird. But first, um, I need to take a break here, and uh, uh, we're going to get a word from uh, Hewitt Docks. Hewitt, you on board? Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pond Two Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the Rolla Dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic Rolla Dock or the new Ultra Dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. 
StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Well, welcome back to this Minnesota Bound podcast. My special guest, in case you're just joining us, we're talking about the joys of wild turkey hunting. My special guest is, uh, let's have a standing applause here, please, is me. I'm going to share with you some thoughts I've had after 54 years of hunting wild turkeys and being addicted. And I'll say this, it is addictive. If you've not done it, uh, it's addictive. The only thing that's painful is that waking up at four o'clock in the morning on April mornings and, and having to get out there. But once you're there, it's worth it. So let's talk a little bit about, about hunting them. It's, and I'm not going to get into fall turkey hunting because it's not nearly as much fun. So I'm talking about springtime turkey hunting. What you need to know is that this is their mating season. And the gobblers gobble to attract attention uh, from hens. And the hens generally ignore it, but uh, that's the way the game is played. And then the hens might call back or the hens will call and say, I'm lonely. And the gobbler will hear that and he'll say, oh, I'll come over there. Uh, and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. You need to know that the way the turkeys have it figured out is the gobbler gobbles, the hen calls back, and she is supposed to come in to him. Um, but he is sometimes very willing to come into her. So that's what you're, you as the turkey hunter, you're trying to imitate, imitate the lonely calls of a hen so that the gobbler hears that, and he gobbles back saying, come on over, babe. But um, you don't. You're sitting at the base of a tree, and so you try to entice him to come in to see you. And, of course, you greet him with a shotgun. Speaking of shotguns, here's something very important. Um, And I've made all these mistakes. Uh, You hit a turkey in the body with a shotgun, and chances are he's going to run away, and you're never going to get him. He's going to die. He'll be coyote food because it'll be a fatal shot. But um, um, so here's my advice. I don't care what gauge you use. Just make sure before the season opens that you go to a range and you pattern your shotgun. Get to 40 yards, draw a pattern of a turkey's head and neck, and see and aim at the base of the neck and see where your shot goes. And if uh, it doesn't go into the head and neck, you got to do something different. I put a one or two power scope on my shotgun. So at 40 yards, I put the crosshairs at the base of the turkey's neck, pull the trigger and check to make sure that the shot all goes from the neck into the head. A head and neck shot will kill a gobbler right in his tracks. And out to 50 yards or so. I don't believe in the 60-yard bull crap, but 50 yards. If you pattern your gun, it'll work. Now, what size shot? I use and have used all these years number six. Federal premium number six is my choice, two and three-quarter inch. Yes, I know there are three-inch shells out there. I want to hurt the turkey more than myself. So that's my feeling. Um, But, you know, that's kind of personal choice. But A number six shot. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I like number fours for big birds like that. Listen, you want more pellets 
because the more pellets you have, the best ch better chance you have uh, for hitting the head and neck and making a fatal shot. And you owe it to the turkey for that. Now, if you're a bow hunter, I've done that too, trust me. Um, I have one recommendation, and that is use, don't use a fixed blade broadhead. Fixed blade broadheads were made for deer that have diaphragms. Turkey really, turkeys really don't have the kind of diaphragm that deer have. And so you, you need a big hole and a, an expandable blade when it hits the bird, opens up, creates a huge uh, injury there. And, uh, um, and, and so that's really for bow hunting. That's what you want. My turkey camp, when we would guide bow hunters, my guides would never take a bow hunter out who showed up with a fixed blade because we saw too many cripples. The fixed blade goes right to the bird. He runs away. He doesn't bleed. There's no blood trail, no nothing like you'd have with a deer. And he's gone and he's going to be, he's going to be coyote food. You're never going to get him. So that's, uh, that's my advice there. So make sure you pattern your shotgun before you ever hit for the woods. Okay. Um, camouflage, yes. I, have, I wear camouflage, although if you move, let me tell you, a turkey can see, uh, picks up movement very quickly because that's how he survives. Even though you might be camouflaged to the hill, if you make too many moves, he's going he's gonna to spot something that he doesn't like and he's not going to be curious. He'll probably just walk away or run away. So, but camouflage, I put a, fa I put a mask on, uh, half of a mask anyway over my face just to, and I try to sit in the shade I don't want to be sitting in the sun so I, something shines off of me or whatever. Um, I like to sit at the base of trees. Blinds, a lot of Minnesotans like blinds. Blinds work, especially if young hunters who maybe can't sit still or whatever. <clears throat> a blind gives you a lot of room uh, for you to move as well. The only thing a blind does, it, it, makes, it keeps you there. You can't, uh, you know, you can't really... Uh, be more mobile. Sometimes being mobile helps. So I like to, I sit by a base of trees in the shade, or sometimes I'll crawl into a clump of uh, brush uh, so I get comfortable. And speaking of getting comfortable, yes, get comfortable because you need patience. And if you're sitting there and your butt hurts or your back hurts, you got something poking you, whatever, that's not good. Um, you'll lose your patience. So make sure you're comfortable. I always carry a little butt pad with me and put that down so my butt stays not only dry but comfortable in case there's a thorn there or whatever. I also wear uh, dark leather gloves because in the dark sometimes you're moving through brush and you don't want to put your hand in and something's full of thorns, whatever. Uh, uh, leather gloves prevents that. And when I do shoot a turkey and he falls and starts flopping, I run out there real quick and grab him. Something you grab him by the feet. He's got he's got spurs there. So leather gloves stops you from getting stabbed by spurs as the bird is going through the throes of uh, uh, of mortality, so like so to speak. And uh, I also get out there quickly because I've seen birds get kind of knocked over, almost knocked out, and then get up and run. And you're not going to catch them. And again, they're going to die. And uh, and 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 be coyote food. And sadly, I've experienced almost all of these things I have told you about. So um, with that, I think, um, well, let me talk about, well, I'll talk about decoys and calling after we take uh, this 
short break from the uh, Minnesota Propane Association. The Shearer family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. Hi, everybody. Ron Shira again here to talk to you about Connecticut. Connecticut water systems. I've had one in my house for, I've lost track how many years. But I can tell you, I will never take it out. The Connecticut Water Systems gives you the kind of drinking water and household water you've always wanted, especially if, like me, your house was in a situation where you were getting iron-stained water. That iron-stained water, first of all, doesn't smell too good. Plus, it stains everything. And and so that takes a lot of joy out of drinking water. So I had a Connecticut system put in, including a, a, a system right into my kitchen sink. And let me tell you, my Connecticut water now, not only for washing clothes or whatever, my Connecticut water is uh, is perfect for uh, drinking. So um, uh, I guess what I'm saying is Connecticut solved my water issues. It's high tech, doesn't take much salt, doesn't take any electricity. And uh, you should check into it. So check into Connecticut. And trust me, you'll never, uh, you'll never regret it. I haven't. If you're an avid outdoor enthusiast like me, then odds are good you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow like a dream. They are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. All right, back to one more portion here of uh, Talking Turkeys. And uh, I've been talking about calling them, etc. I'm going to do a little calling for you. one of the basic things you can do, and a lot of people use a diaphragm call, and I that's the first thing I use. It's, a, it's one you put in your mouth, and I and a lot of people can't use it. They gag on it, etc. I never had that problem, but uh, I probably don't use the mouth diaphragm call as much as I used to because um, uh, I like the, some of the other calls better and what I can do with it. Now, in my hands, you can't see this. I have a Primo's box cutter, a box call. And I, uh, I like this one because of the various sounds I can do with it. And I'm going to demonstrate some of that to you. But uh, part of the box call, you have to remember to keep it uh, tuned with the soft carpenter's chalk on the blade and edge. 
So uh, if it gets too shiny, it doesn't sound so good. But uh, before I start talking about that, you want to listen to what real hands are doing. You can Google real hand calls and listen to them on your computer and listen to the pattern and listen to what they're saying and try to emulate that. And in the woods, when you hear hands calling to you, I call back trying to do say the same thing they're saying. I don't know what they're saying, but I try to say the same thing. And, uh, and uh, so uh, that's the first lesson. Listen to what the real hands are saying. And here's some examples. So here's a, just a, a, a Yelp. Basic Yelp means, hey, where are you guys? Like I said, that says, where are you guys? And that would be, the gobbler could answer that. I'm over here. And then you, so now you play a little hard to get. And uh, and uh, so then you might uh, get him excited. You might do what's uh, called a putts and purrs go. That gets the gobbler real excited. So something's happening over there. And um, so those are some of the basic ones. and. You want to hear the rhythm. It's, you know, a lot of people say, don't call too much. Well, that's a good bit of advice, but I've heard hens do this. Now, somebody will say, oh, my God, that's calling way too much. Hey, if the hen, real hen can do it, I can do it. So... I don't think there's any rule about calling too much. There is a rule about calling too loud. So remember, I mentioned that earlier, calling too loud. So that's the box call. You can do lots of things with it. You can do a little purr. And so I'm contented here. I'm just feeding. Everything's fine. And um, and so that's, you know, I carry a box call with me all the time. And, and the only problem with a box call, it takes two hands to use which isn't really a problem if you're hidden well and you're not going to use that when the turkey comes in. Often, if you know he's coming in, you just stop calling because he's going to come looking for you. And when the gobbler answers you, he knows exactly where you're at. So don't worry about that. So if you know he's coming, he can tell by his, his gobble got closer. Uh, you can still just be quiet after that because he, he's going to say, okay, I'm, I'm looking for you. Now, one of my favorite type of calls to use is called a slate or glass uh, slate call. And I use it a lot because I can do all kinds of tricky talk with it. I've got a Cody uh, one here in my hand at the moment. Um, and I also have a stone. Now, with the, with the, the glass calls or the slate calls, you got to rough them up. I'm a, you hear that. I'm roughing up just half of my glass slate here so I can get the right sounds and on a slate if you buy one you got to check it out because there'll be a uh, there'll be a neat spot on the somewhere on the slate that sounds better than other parts of the slate you just have to experiment with it then I mark it somehow so that I I can always find it again so so here's the slate do some of the basic yelp here You know, it's a little higher pitch. Um, some, some gobblers like that. Now, here's the thing. If, if a gobbler answered to your box call and then you switch up to your slate call, 
and he doesn't answer the slate. But then you go back to the box call and he answers the box. What he's telling you is, hey, I like that call better. So um, then I quit using whatever one he didn't like. So remember, maybe maybe he liked them both. Doesn't matter then. So here's that. That's the Yelp again. I'm lonely. Where are you guys? Where are you guys? Then there's the purrs and putts. I'm real contented. I'm feeding over here. When he goes like this, gobblers do that too. That means, where are you? So it's you know, stuff like that. That's, I'm contented. Everything is going fine. You can even do a fight. When turkeys get into a fight, it sounds, sometimes I'll do that just to see if I got, if I got a gobbler that's hanging out there, he won't come into me. Uh, a lot of, he's like, if you start a fight, maybe, oh, oh God, there's a fight over there. I'm going to get in on it. So you go. So usually it doesn't, usually it doesn't work, but it's fun to, to try it and see uh, see how the turkeys uh, receive your your fight uh, calling. Um, like I said, you, you don't want to call too loud. And now I have a gobbler call. I don't have one here with me. I use a gobbler call very sparingly. So you say, why would that be? Because I don't want. Um, I don't know if there's any other hunters out there. And I don't want to uh, sound like a gobbler or have somebody sneaking up and I don't see him and he sees my shadow against the tree and says, there's the gobbler. Boom. Uh, turkey hunting can be very dangerous uh, if you're sounding like a gobbler and you have a, a hunter out there who's too excited and doesn't really know what a real gobbler sounds like. Anyway, I only use it sparingly and only if I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in the woods. So there's an old saying, you know, uh, you can call many gobblers and, and uh, only a few come in. But when one does, it's uh, literally one of the most exciting moments uh, you can ever have in the woods. Um, remember, hunt fair and square. Um, some states allow rifles. I would never use a rifle uh, because you're missing out on seeing that bird come in. And uh, when you're successful, it's a memory you'll you'll always have for the rest of your life. Um, I could go on and on, but I think my time is up here. So I do want to thank you for listening to me. And uh, uh, if you're going to try turkey hunting, uh, the best of luck to you. If you're if you're like me and can't wait for another spring turkey season, uh, then uh, the same to you. So uh, I have to thank uh, Oreo Cookies here and Ritz Crackers. For being sponsors, Minnesota Propane, uh, Hewitt Docks, Connecticut, and my favorite bank, Star Bank. And re remember, introduce the kid to the great outdoors. Take them turkey hunting. I'm Ron Shera. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.